Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan, as he continues his series through the Book of Acts, preaching this week from the pulpit of his home church, the Donaldson Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. If you feel a little stressed and you want to get away, peace and quiet, then I want to recommend that you go over sometime in the next few days or weeks to Radnor Lake and just walk on the trails there and look at that beautiful little jewel of a lake. It might be the most beautiful place in Nashville. When I fly out of Nashville, I always try to be on the side of the plane so I can look down and see that little lake nestled there in the hills just west of town. And you may think that lake has been there from the creation, but it hasn't been. It's only about 100 years old. It was made by damming up the Otter Creek, and they did it in order to provide a reservoir for water for the steam trains. And it was built by the Nashville, the Louisville and Nashville Railroad Company just over 100 years ago, the L and N. There was so much rail traffic through Nashville, I sort of wish I could flash back for a day and ride one of those trains, but they were steam locomotives. There was so much rail traffic, it took one million gallons of water every day in the Nashville railroad yards to fill up those steam engines. And so the engineers would fill their boilers with water and they would build a fire in the firebox and the fire would heat the water and the water would create the steam that would cause the locomotives to have the energy and the force they needed to haul the passengers and the freight out of Nashville and to points beyond. And some of the piping is still there. Well, I think it's a wonderful illustration for us as we go into this new year. We need resources from above. We need to be filled up with the limitless lakes of the higher elevations of God's greatness. We need to live a life of fullness, being filled. And I want to say today that we need a five-fold fullness, a five-fold fullness as we go full steam ahead into a new year. And there is only one place in the Bible that talks about this, and it's in the book of Acts chapter 6. So I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the story of Stephen and his fivefold fullness in the book of Acts in chapter 6. I'll give you a little bit of background. The story here is that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down into this upper room where the believers were and essentially created the church. And the church grew 
But the church was made up of two different groups of people. There were the local Jews who had grown up in Jerusalem and in Judea, and they spoke Aramaic. They were Aramaic-speaking. But then, all over the Roman Empire, there were Jewish people who had grown up speaking Greek, which was the that was the language of the empire that Alexander the Great had spread everywhere. And so we had these Greek-speaking or Hellenic, uh, Hellenistic Jews, and they had moved to Jerusalem because they wanted to be in Israel. They wanted to migrate to the Holy Land. So you had Aramaic-speaking Jews, and you had Greek-speaking Jews there together. And the Greek-speaking Jews were newer, and not everybody knew them, and so the first conflict arose in the early church because some of these Greek-speaking Jewish widows weren't known and being cared for by the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and that's the story in chapter 6. I'll read the first couple of verses, and then we'll look at our text beginning in verse 3. It says, in those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all of the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now let's pick it up here in verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. It doesn't say wise. So it means, and full of wisdom, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And they selected six others. And it says in verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and full of power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, and the opposition led eventually to his being martyred as the first person to give his life for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ in history. But this is the only person in all of the Bible who is described the way Stephen is described. This is unique in Scripture. He is said here to have a five-fold fullness. He had these resources coming piped down from heaven, and he was filled to the brim in five different ways. It says three times he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it also says that he was filled with wisdom. And then it says he was filled with grace. And then it says he was filled with power. And then it says he was filled with faith. Now, you can go through the entire Bible, and nobody else is described like that. This is unique to Stephen, this five-fold fullness. And it's what I think we need if we're going to get a full head of steam going into the new year. So let's look at these. It says, first of all, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that three times, two times in the passage I read and once at the end of the story. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
In the very simplest terms, I think it simply means to be filled with Jesus, with liquid Jesus. Now, I say that reverently because Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, if anyone will believe in me, then out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, and by this he was referring to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible as a liquid, and it's as though we could just open up the top of our heads and say, Lord, may I be totally filled up with the Spirit, which means to be filled up with Jesus. You know, when Jesus came to earth and was born of a virgin, he has always been God, but he also became a human being. And as a human being, he had certain limitations, like geographically. And he could do wonderful things. In the Bible, he did miracles, but there was never a time in the Bible when at one and the same moment he was in Galilee and in Jerusalem. He was limited to one place at one time. So he ascended back to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit who could come into our hearts, as he does when we receive Christ as Savior, and fill us. And how do you know if you're filled with Jesus? It says in the book of Acts and in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in our hearts, and we will be thankful for all things in the name of Christ, knowing they work out for our good, and we will be submissive to one another and humble. Those three great signs, a song in our hearts, a thankful attitude, and then a humility and a submission to one another. And then the book of Acts tells us also that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will speak the word of God with boldness. So this was true with Stephen. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me give you three A's. First of all, just allow or acquiesce and say, dear Lord, I want you to have complete control of my life. I mean, every day you can wake up and say, Father, this isn't my day, it's yours, and I belong to you, and everything I have is yours, and may I be totally yours. I want all of me to belong to all of you, and you don't hold anything back. And then ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And then thirdly, assume and affirm that if you have yielded yourself to the Lord and you have asked him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, that you are going out into the day for Jesus and he's going to live his life and do his work through you because it's a matter of faith. You may not have Pentecostal phenomena when you're filled with the Holy Spirit every morning. You may not feel all kinds of surges of strange emotions, but we make an affirmation, we make an assumption that the Lord is going to allow us to walk by faith. And I was taught many years ago, and I still do it every morning, to wake up in the morning and say, Dear Lord, I am altogether yours. I acquiesce. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I affirm that, and I'm going into the day filled with your Holy Spirit. Now, that's what Stephen did. So, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, secondly, that he was filled with wisdom. 
In fact, it says later on that when he debated in the synagogues, those who were opposed to him could not withstand the wisdom with which he spoke given to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's never been a time in my lifetime when we needed more wisdom. Where did Stephen get his wisdom? Well, I can tell you that. I know where he got it. If you read his speech, because what happened was he went into the synagogues and started debating, and he ended up being dragged before the Sanhedrin, and he gave them a speech, a sermon. And it is the longest speech or sermon in the book of Acts. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It takes about two and a half pages in my Bible. But it is filled with Scripture. Now, he was Greek-speaking, so he was using the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, but he had studied that book. He knew what it was, and he could just quote verses. He was speaking extemporaneously when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin, but he gave them a sermon that went from one end of the Bible to the other, and he just snatched verses from nowhere and began quoting them. So this was a man who had studied his Bible, and I'm desperately concerned Today, the church in the United States has a remarkable amount of biblical illiteracy. And we can't be wise if we're biblically illiterate. You say, well, the Bible is such a complex book. But look, I can hold it in my hand. You can give yourself to a lifetime of Bible study and understand it if you're diligent about it. And Stephen had been. But wisdom is not just Bible study or the acquisition of Bible knowledge. It is the ability to intersect that knowledge with daily life in a fallen world and to form and develop a Christian worldview. Now, this particular year, we know we've had a lot of things to face this year, but one of the things we've had to face is a whole new vocabulary coming from all kinds of sources. And we know that academia and higher education and much of journalism and much of the media and a lot of our political system are all over here in an atheistic orbit. And we've had a lot of terms that many of us didn't know before. We've had to learn critical theory and intersectionality and woke and all of these terms. So all I'm saying, I'm not going to evaluate them all right now, but we have got to have a biblical worldview in which to analyze the cultural trends and tides of our day, or else they're just going to swallow us up. And that only comes with the real knowledge of the Bible and the ability to develop a Christian worldview. Now, there are a couple of things, parenthetically, that have helped me a lot with this. I have a friend named... Dr. Jeremiah Johnston in Houston, who established a group called the Christian Thinker Society. And I would recommend that you go to their website and, and study that. And also the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and the Breakpoint Podcast with John Stone Street and Shane Morris has just been a lifesaver for me. And I've made reference to those on my social media today, so you can go there and find it. But we've got to have a knowledge of the Scripture and the ability of intersectionality, the way that I'm using the word, to intersect Scripture into daily life and have this worldview that is biblical in its orientation. If we don't do that, then the church in America is in deep trouble. 
And then it says that Stephen was full of grace. What does it mean to be full of grace? I've had a hard time getting my hands around that. I mean, that's, that is a phrase. It's used three times in the Bible. Hear about Stephen, but also it says about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 24, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his beauty as that of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And then the Apostle Paul uses this phrase in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, and he uses it differently. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace. And I think that gives us a clue that when we are full of grace, it affects the way, the graciousness with which we communicate including intense settings when we're defending the faith. And that's true here for Stephen. So let's go back to chapter 6 of the book of Acts. It says in verse 8, now Stephen, in verse chapter 6 and verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition, however, arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as they were called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue, argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up all of the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produce false witnesses who testifies, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And now this incredible verse 15. All who are sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know exactly what that means. I wish I had a photograph of it. But I think that it must mean that in this hostile, angry, intimidating, belligerent environment, Stephen stood there unafraid, unruffled, full of the message of the gospel, ready to share it with no hostility, no belligerence, and somehow with a glow on his face that took the people aback. And it says in chapter 7, verse 1, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Yes or no? Now, anybody who asks you a question and they say yes or no, well, it's probably a question that cannot be answered with yes or no. Some things are more complex, so Stephen didn't fall into that trap. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he begins talking, and he talks and talks all through this page and this page and most of this page. As I said, it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And I think as he is talking the tension and the anger being direct him, directed towards him in the room is increasing. And in verse 51, 
Stephen says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You, have just, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, and you who have received the law that was given through angels, you have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, and they dragged him out, and they killed him. Now, we don't have the tone of voice that Stephen used here. But being full of grace, I think, means that even when he was speaking truth to culture, he was not belligerent. He was redemptive. He wanted those people to receive the gospel. He wasn't talking with anger towards them. In fact, later on, when they stoned him, he was more like Jesus in his death than any other person in the Bible. He looked up to heaven and he said, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. No one else in the scripture said anything like that. And then he said, Lord, forgive them. And then he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he became the first martyr for the faith. He was full of grace. And I think being full of grace means, among other things, that we know how to speak truth to culture without being belligerent, but redemptive. And then it says also, fourthly, that Stephen was full of power. And how do we see that he is full of power? I mean, his sermon failed, and they dragged him out and killed him. How effective was that? But notice what it says here in verse number 58. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of killing him. Do you know who Saul was? He was a young man who was in that Sanhedrin. He wasn't a member there, but he was an aide. He was maybe the assistant for one of the members of this Jewish ruling council. He was riveted. He was full of passion. He saw Stephen. I mean, how else would Luke have gotten this information? Have you ever thought of that? There was no followers of Christ in this room. It was a closed meeting. I mean, maybe there were. Maybe a couple of the, maybe Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea were there. But this was a closed meeting of the Jewish ruling council, and yet Luke knew every word that Stephen said and even the appearance on his face. How did he know that and get this information? Well, this one Saul became later the apostle Paul. He never got over the look on Stephen's face or the tone of his voice or the graciousness or the way he died, and it haunted him until he finally came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Alexander White, the Scottish preacher, says that Stephen would have been the Apostle Paul. He had all of the gifts. He had the brilliance. He had the grace. He had the power. He had the fluency. He had the zeal. He had the authority. But his life was cut short. But by his death, this haunting memory of conviction led Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul who later must have told Luke everything about it. And that's the power that Stephen wielded. What is power? Power 
is knowing that God is using us more than we realize and that we are doing more than we know for Him. When you're full of power, you're doing more for the Lord than you realize, and God is using you in greater ways than you know. And finally, it says that Stephen was full of faith. He was just filled with faith. He had unshakable faith. And it's a remarkable thing. I'm like the man who said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But what does it mean to be full of faith? Well, this week I read about a couple in Hong Kong named John and Karen Short. And they have a Christian publishing company in Hong Kong. And John Short wrote a testimony and a gospel tract. And some years ago, he was invited to go on a special trip to North Korea. And while he was there, he gave out some of these gospel tracts and some of this literature. And suddenly, North Korean agents burst into his hotel room, and they detained him, and they took him off to arrest him. And back in Hong Kong, Karen got a phone call from Beijing that her husband had been arrested in North Korea. Now, you would think that would completely unnerve her. But as the reporters came, what she said to them was, I know that the Lord is in control, and so I'm not going to go down the road of what-ifs. I'm just simply going to trust him with everything. And that was her attitude. She had a remarkable calm during the two weeks that he was incarcerated. She said, I know the Lord has everything under control. I'm not going to go with the what-ifs. I'm just going to trust him with everything. And two weeks later, remarkably, he was set free and able to go back to Hong Kong. I thought her definition of faith there is something that I would like for myself. Being full of faith means you know the Lord is in control of everything. You don't have to chase the what-ifs. You know that he is in control, so you simply trust him with everything. So this is the five-fold fullness that we only see in the Bible in this one case of this man, Stephen. But as I've studied him, it's made me want to say, Lord, make me more and more like Stephen. Now, this coming year could be a train wreck if you don't go into it full speed ahead. So may the Lord help us to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, and full of grace, and full of power, and full of faith. And when we go like a Stephen into the new year, then God is going to do something with a teenager, with a child, with a young adult, with a church that has the five-fold fullness drawn from a higher elevation, pouring into our lives. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, may he fall fresh on you. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Dear Lord, our God and our Father, 
we pray that you would enable us to be more and more like Stephen and more and more like Jesus. And if there is someone here, Lord, who needs to begin this new year by asking Christ to be Savior and Lord, or coming with repentance and saying, I'm rededicating my life to the Lord Jesus, Father, may this be the Sunday and the time and the season when they do that. And Father, we cannot fill ourselves. So we open ourselves and ask for your fullness in every way that we might be vessels fit for the master's use. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.